Hello, this is Comeback, this is Connor, and this is episode 101. My guest today is Dana Drejas. Dana is a women's nutritionist and a hormonal health consultant, and is also the host of the Creators in Saigon podcast here in Saigon. I've been watching and listening to Dana's podcast for a while, so it's a pleasure for me to have her introduce the next 100 of Comeback. Dana, how are you? Hello, Connor. I'm so good. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. I, I, what I will do, Dana, throughout this is, you know, talk a bit about your podcast, how you got into yeah. it, and what you're currently up to, because I think you're producing some great stuff. But in the meantime, you know, can we talk a bit then about your background? You're from the States. Uh, whereabouts in the States? And what was life like growing up? Yeah, I'm from New Jersey, from a like rural farm town kind of area. And growing up was pretty uh, suburban, typical, I guess, American uh, middle class lifestyle. It was really boring out in the middle of nowhere. And I feel like I always had this desire to travel because it was such a small town with all the same kind of people. And I always wondered what life was like beyond <laughs> this small little town. Um, so I think that was like really the uh, inspiration to start traveling. And yeah, I guess I'll let you ask more questions. Yeah, sure. Did you do say when you first started traveling, did you do a Southeast Asia route to start with? Or where did you first start? taking your traveling adventures? No, um, I, I had never planned to go to Southeast Asia, actually. I don't know why, but my very first trip was in high school uh, with my class. We went to Greece because uh, it was some sort of like English, Greek mythology kind of class. So that was the first time. Um, and then after that, I studied abroad during my junior year of university to Australia. And so that was the first time that I lived abroad for, I think, five or six months. Um, and after that, I was just like totally obsessed. And it was all I could think about. Uh, even when I was applying for jobs after university, I was very reluctant about it. Uh, I really, really just wanted to live somewhere abroad, but I had a lot of student loan debt and just sort of getting swept up in the current of what's the typical thing to do after university, go, go get a job in the city. Um, so that's what I did. But after a few years, I had enough of that and was like, no, it's time, time to leave. Okay, so with, you know, your studying abroad and your initial view of traveling, how did you end up in Vietnam? What was the point where you decided, oh, Vietnam, yeah, I want to live here? <laughs> yeah, um, after I had just visited one of my good friends from university who was living in Cape Town, South Africa, and I was just so amazed by the life that she was living there and how happy she seemed. And I was so miserable at my, you know, desk job in the city. And she was like, if I can do it, you can do it. There's, there's really nothing stopping you. And so on the plane ride home, I'm like, yeah, she's right. If she can do it, I can do it. So immediately when I got home, I started researching uh, how, to, how to make money living abroad, where to live abroad. And of course, English teaching seemed to be the most kind of path of least resistance, I guess, uh, and signed up for uh, a TESOL course that I found through YouTube. Uh, I was following the Ninja Teacher YouTube channel. He does a lot of sort of day in the life videos about Vietnam. And I think Vietnam came up just from Googling like best places to teach English abroad. And it, it just kept coming up to the top. And I just became obsessed with it, like following people on Instagram who were in Vietnam, 
watching YouTube channels in Vietnam, just taking in all of the content and visualizing my life there. And I just was so excited. Mm. And did you come to Saigon straight away? How long have you been in Vietnam? Yes, I came to Saigon right away. The The ninja teacher course that I signed up with, it was a month-long tussle course um, that you take in Ho Chi Minh City. And that was about three three years ago now, in July 2018. Um, so yeah, spent the first month there. It, we really didn't get much of a chance to explore the city. It was really like intensive every day going to class and doing practice uh, classes, teaching. So after that, I did a two-week just trip around all of Vietnam pretty much. And I was trying to decide which city or which place do I want to end up in and comparing the pros and cons of basically the major cities, Saigon, Hanoi, and Da Nang. And ultimately came the, to the decision of staying in Saigon because I had just heard such good things about it. And I am more of a more of a big city girl coming from. Up yeah, so I was living in New York City before this. I'm a big city girl and that's why I ended up choosing Saigon, especially over Da Nang, because Da Nang just seemed like a nice, you know, nice enough place to visit for vacation, maybe to relax. But I felt like ultimately I would be um, not stimulated enough there, I guess. Mm, yeah. And I'm really, really happy that I decided to stay in Saigon because I've just met the most amazing people. I have an amazing support network and community here. Um, so many creators, which makes it so easy to have the podcast creators in Saigon. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. How have you found the last three years? It's been a bit wild in Saigon, right? I mean, before I came here, I did had no idea what to expect because of my lack of research. I thought I'd just go for it. And Saigon is quite <laughs> a wild place. I mean, you meet people from all over the world doing so many different jobs and there are so many different things going on, as you said, stimulating you. It's a bit mm -hmm. wild. How do you find the whole thing? Yeah, it's it's like such a high when you first get here, at least for me. I think I was chasing that high and that stimulation because back at home, I was so miserable. But at that time, I didn't realize that just by moving to a new place, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be happy there all of a sudden. It was like I got here and there was that high and that rush and adrenaline of, wow, everything's new, everything's interesting and exciting. And also then you learn, oh, all of that sort of baggage and things that I was, you know, holding on to deep down inside back at home it didn't just go away magically just because I moved yeah. to a new city it was it was still here and so I had to learn that lesson of like happiness is not something that you you chase it's not something that is externally in another location uh you have to find that happiness within you as corny and cheesy as it sounds but yeah the, the past three years have really been this like self-discovery process of how do I, how do I find that happiness within myself? Um, and <laughs> luckily, like, so the, I'm sure you've heard like the dating scene, especially for expat women in Saigon is pretty terrible, but it was kind of lucky. It, it turned out good for me because I feel like I needed that time to just be by myself and focus on myself and figure out what it is that I want. What, what do I like? What am I passionate about? Uh, without, I guess, doing it without like just trying to impress, you know, someone who I would want to date all the time. Yeah. So yeah, oh, that's that's been a lot of the journey, a lot of like a personal growth type of journey. 
<laughs> with this then, you mentioned that you came here, well, like myself, and there were, say, areas of baggage back at home, uh, still some pain that you could think you can deal with by moving country, but they still do exist. Mm-hmm. So in the last three mm-hmm. years, are there any techniques that you've used in this journey of self-discovery that have really benefited you? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I, I went to some therapy here. I would say that's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a technique, but if, if one can afford it, I think it's absolutely such an important investment to make in yourself to go to therapy and really like dig deep down into, we all have these childhood traumas that are lingering and sort of driving our unconscious behavior that we're not even necessarily aware of. So going to therapy and just bringing that all to the surface and actually dealing with it is so powerful. Um, Journaling, I've always been big into journaling, which is just another way to bring the subconscious stuff up to the up to the conscious. And it feels weird to do at first. You're just like writing like, uh, I don't know what to write. Um, but once you start getting into this kind of stream of consciousness, you start bringing up these ideas that you, you never would have thought of if you hadn't just sat down with yourself and had that moment of peace and quiet just to be with yourself. And uh, it's amazing <laughs> what you'll find by doing that. And what else? I think uh, I'm really into using Notion, which is kind of a productivity tool, but you can you can do whatever you want with it. I use it to uh, track my habits. So like every morning I'll open up my Notion board and check off, like, did I do my morning walk, my meditation, my exercise? Um, and then I'll track like my, uh, period symptoms and what I'm eating every day. And all of this again, is just helping you to become more and more aware of everything that you're doing rather than operating in this autopilot mode all throughout your life, where you're just sort of going, going along, going by the motions and not really thinking consciously about anything that you're doing when you start to really sit down and be like, okay, what actually did I do today? What did I eat today? Did I drink enough water today? Things like that um, just starts to call to your attention. Uh, And the more data you have and the more awareness you have, the better you can start to change your behavior if needed. Like, oh, I, I actually don't drink enough water. Let me, let me make that a focus for tomorrow to drink more water. And the more and more you do that every single day, you're just building up these micro habits that eventually turn into just new behavior. Okay, I see. And then with that then, Dana, can we talk about the work you do? Currently in Saigon, you are a nutritionist and hormonal health consultant. You're doing that practice here in Vietnam, right? Yeah, so I haven't fully launched my business yet. Uh, I've just finished literally uh, a few days ago with my official certification. But for the past few months, I've been doing some workshops. Well, before we were in lockdown, I was doing workshops in Saigon with people talking about um, menstrual health, period health, things like that. And I have a monthly newsletter, email, email newsletter, um, where I also talk about these types of topics, but I have, I, and I did a group program in May with a few women and that went really well. Um, for now, my, my situation is kind of weird. I might be like many other expats leaving soon, probably in October. So yeah, currently I'm kind of figuring out how am I going to spend the rest of my time here. Okay, I see. Um, this may be a private conversation, but how come you are leaving in October? Yeah, so 
I have a work permit and TRC with the school that I'm teaching with, but my contract with them ends in October and they are not going to do halftime contracts anymore. Currently I have like a halftime one. They would only sign me again if I did a full-time, which would really make no sense for me because ultimately I, I would want to stay here and really dive into the, the health coaching thing and working full-time. I just would not have like the time and energy to do all the things that I actually want to do here. Mm. Um, so I've been, you know, reaching out to other people, messaging other companies, but I mean, what Vietnam is doing with, you know, updating all these, well, I guess technically it always was the law, but now they're just really enforcing these things. Yeah, sure. It's making it, yeah, it's making it really difficult. And at this point, I'm, I'm kind of just fed up with it and I'm sort of like, okay, if, if I have to spend this much money and put in this much effort for it to possibly not even work out because I'm hearing tons of stories of people who have had work permits for like 10 years and been here legally for 10 years and they have all the proper paperwork and then they just get rejected without any explanation. So it seems like it's kind of just a lottery of who's going to get a work permit and who's not at this point. And so it just feels too risky to to like put in all that effort and money to then just be sent home anyway so I'm kind of like okay I guess I'll go home maybe I'll go to Mexico like a lot of other people are doing and start a new life yeah do it all over again there is something thrilling about moving to a different country and leaving everything I've only done it once with Vietnam but I'm gonna do it again I just Mm -hmm. don't know where there is something yeah quite cathartic about it I know that you obviously still have the baggage that you previously held but there is still something incredibly therapeutic about rocking up at a new place with a completely clean slate yeah, and think, yeah here we go exactly yeah and it's I mean it's been like three years for me here and probably even if all of this wasn't happening I probably wouldn't have stayed past another year anyway Mm. Um, just because, yeah, I am missing, missing that feeling of going somewhere new, um, that, that challenge, I guess, like I'm not really being as challenged here anymore and I love it here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss everyone and everything so much, but might be, might be time for a change. Yeah. It's important to assess it and find out when the time's right, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So with your um, practice, say, of being a nutritionist and health consultancy, how did you get into it? Was this something that, you know, you developed in Vietnam or was it previously a passion of yours in the States? Sorry, I'm back. You're back? Oh, okay. Did you hear my question? No. Uh, Okay, so where you have been a nutritionist, health consultant, was this, did this all develop in Vietnam? Uh, was this a passion of yours in the States? How did it all start? Yeah, so I would say it's always been a passion of mine, but for whatever reason, I guess I just felt like, like when I was younger, I always felt like, oh, I'm, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at science. Uh, even when I would, I was thinking about applying for a master's in nutrition, the requirements, like all the prerequisites that I would need, um, were like, you need all these science classes. And I, I was kind of just scared off by it. I was like, okay, I guess I can't really do that. Um, but then here, yeah, so it, it definitely really developed in Vietnam, um, I actually, in all of 2020, my full-time thing was doing podcast producing for other people. So I was doing my podcast, but I also had clients in the U.S. and I was doing the editing and show notes and all of that for them. Um, And I thought that that was going to be my thing like for, for a long time. I was like, yeah, this is cool. I finally figured it out. But then after a while, I was like, hmm this doesn't really feel 
this, this still doesn't feel right. There's something still missing. Uh, and at the same time, I was really struggling with my own health in terms of just like chronically fatigued all the time, zero energy, and just constantly trying to figure out what is it? What's wrong? Like, why is this happening? What am I doing wrong? And I was really focused on looking into all these productivity hacks that you see on YouTube. And I thought that was it. Like, oh, I just need to follow these productivity hacks. But I, I really noticed that a lot of these hacks, it was, it was men talking about these things. I didn't really see any women in, in the productivity space talking about that. And then one day I came across someone who mentioned the term cycle syncing, which is this concept of following along with your hormonal cycle as a woman, these, these four hormonal phases that we go through each month where different hormones are rising and falling And all of that has an impact on your energy and your mood and your metabolism and all of these things. And the whole idea is that you can become aware of what's happening literally in your body and adapting your diet and lifestyle uh, and like stress management techniques around that. So you're actually working with your hormones rather than working against them, which is the case of what you're doing if you're if you're trying to like force yourself into um, the male rhythm, which men have a 24-hour hormonal cycle. They basically go through the same cycle every day. Um, whereas women, our hormones are changing constantly, like daily, going up and down, and different things are happening. And so it just made so much sense. It was like, oh my God, how am I 27 years old and just learning about this now? Like, why isn't this taught in school to young women? And then I got even deeper into the rabbit hole and learning about all the negative impacts of birth control on our health and how it, you know, disrupts your gut, which has such a connection. There's a very strong established connection between the mind and the gut. So of course, so many women experience depression, which I did too. I cycled through tons of different birth controls because of depression, anxiety, um, gut issues, bloating, all these things. And the thing is that like all of this, this stuff is so normalized. It's like, oh yeah, as a woman, you're just meant to suffer. That's just your, your lot in life. Like, oh, you're just going to have a period and it's going to be terrible every month, or you're going to go on birth control and it's going to be terrible. That's just the way that it is. And once I started sort of learning all this stuff that, no, that's not actually how it has to be. The only reason it is the way it is, is because we all are on these shitty diets with all of these like outside chemicals and toxins from the cleaning products we're using and the the makeup we're using deodorant like all these things that disrupt our the balance of our hormones which you know affects our mood and metabolism and digestion and all of these things so it just really opened up my eyes to oh i can actually take control of my health and, you know, adjust my diet, adjust my lifestyle, adjust my exercise routine. And I was very skeptical at first. I was like, you know, no way this is going to work. I had terrible periods when I was in high school and college. um, And I was so scared to come off of my birth control because I felt like I really was brainwashed into thinking that I need this birth control to like function properly, but it was actually the reverse. (laughs) So once I started improving my diet, improving, you know, my lifestyle habits, all these things, I finally uh, removed my hormonal IUD birth control and I had my first period and it was symptom free, like zero pain, zero mood swings. It was just so easy. And I was like, there's no way like, oh my God, this 
this whole time I could have had normal pain-free periods if someone had just told me that it's your nutrition. And so it just makes me so mad that this is not taught to young people and that young people are just suffering and thinking that's the way it is. So that's my rant. (laughs) No, it's cool. What more do you think can be done to raise awareness about this issue? I think, um, I mean, I, I guess I'm just doing my best to speak out about it, talk about this stuff on my Instagram stories, just sharing this knowledge and education that actually what you think and what we were all kind of raised to believe is not how it actually has to be. Um, And I, I mean, I would love to live in a world where doctors are educated about this stuff too, because doctors, like they barely learn about nutrition in medical school. So they're kind of just taught how to prescribe drugs and they're incentivized to prescribe, at least in the U.S., Um, They're incentivized to prescribe more drugs, more surgeries, and the whole system is just like fucked. So it really, um, I mean, there's going to have to be huge change systemically. I'm, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with that, but I guess just on an individual level, the more you can do to educate yourself and read books like how not to die, for example, is a great book. Um, and there's a book called the period repair manual, um, by Laura Brighton. I can give you like the links to this stuff too, but please do. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, just educating and, and knowing that if you are struggling and you're going to the doctor and they're kind of just brushing you off, which is also what happens a lot with women, like you, you go to the gynecologist and you say, I'm having terrible pain, terrible symptoms. It's been documented in studies that women, women's pain is not taken as seriously. And especially black women and women of color um, are not taken as seriously by the medical community and they're kind of just brushed off like, oh, it's all in your head here, just take a pill. And if only people knew, look at what you're eating, look at your nutrition, look at the products that you're using, what kind of chemicals and additives and preservatives are in them and start to make those simple changes and you will for sure see results. Mm. So your key message say for young women struggling with the period cycles would be focus on their nutrition yes Mm. what sort of things should they be doing and looking out for specifically related to nutrition yeah I guess if I were to put myself in their shoes there's so much conflicting information on the internet and it gets really confusing of what actually is healthy? What are you supposed to be eating? Because you've got one person shouting from the rooftops, like low carb diet or keto or intermittent fasting, like all of these fad diets. And the thing is also that most of these diets, a lot of the research that is done is only done on men because women are often left out of research because of our hormonal cycle. So it's too, like the researchers believe like, oh, this messes up the data. Sorry, just taking a sip of water. Um, and so it's, it's really enticing to see a lot of people trying these fad diets and having success, but a lot of them, you might have success in the short run, but in the long run, it's really doing damage ultimately to your hormones. So ultimately I would say just focusing on a whole foods plant-based diet, which essentially means lots of leafy greens, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, um, 
beans, nuts, seeds. Uh, I've personally seen with a lot of women and read many times in books and in research that removing dairy from your diet has huge benefits and it helped me immensely um, because cows are basically like raped to become pregnant so that they produce milk eventually. And when, when they are milked, their, their estrogen levels are really high at that time. So when we consume cow's milk or cow cheese, or I guess any animal um, milk or cheese, we are consuming their estrogen levels, which is throwing off our estrogen levels. And that's what causes the symptoms of like breast soreness, heavy cramps, pain, all of those things. Um, and also a lot of people find, find success in reducing gluten in their diet because gluten uh, is very inflammatory to the system, which also sort of throws things off balance in the gut and the liver. <clears throat> um, but definitely like removing, don't, don't just go and like remove everything all at once because you might not necessarily need to, especially with gluten. Um, so just taking like a month to be like, okay, I'm going to remove gluten from my diet and see what happens. See if you feel better, track your symptoms every day. Um, what else? Yeah, I think, I think that's all I'll say for that. Okay. We've covered that side of your work and, you know, I really appreciate your insight in that. I'm sure the people listening will take away some great uh, little points from that. Let's talk yeah. now the podcast, Creators in Saigon. Why did you start Creators in Saigon? How did it come about? Yes. Um, it's funny. I never, when I was living in New York, I had tried listening to podcasts, never got into it. Um, people were really into the, the crime drama kind of shows like serial. And, and I just, I don't know, I wasn't into it for some reason. Um, and so I thought I was like, eh, I don't, I don't like podcasts. I'm not a podcast person. And then uh, coming to Vietnam, I can never remember what happened first, whether it was if I had the idea to start the podcast first, or if I was working with podcast clients first, but somewhere along the line, I, I realized very quickly that I did not like English teaching, <laughs> but I still wanted to live abroad. And I wanted to figure out a way of how can I make money online so that I can have that, that freedom to, be remote, be location independent. And uh, I think I, I think maybe, I guess maybe both happen at the same time. I think I was starting my podcast, which really just came about because I had been meeting so many interesting people. Uh, I had gone to this event called Leading Women, which is not running anymore because the girl who started it, um, she, she moved back home a while ago. But it was basically this monthly event where it was a safe space for women to share deep, vulnerable stories around a certain topic. So the topic would be set for the month of like, okay, today we're going to talk about mental health. Or the next month, it would be about like, sex and the next month it would be about blah 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 and I was just so amazed by these women who were getting up there and speaking and sharing vulnerably about their the stories in their lives and just seeing how it allowed other women in the audience to also feel safe to then open up and share their story and I guess it just made me feel like, oh, if we had a platform where more people can share their story and you can reach even more people, a wider audience, then more and more people will feel 
empowered to, you know, open up and share their story or at least start questioning start questioning things. Cause when you hear someone else telling their story, it might bring up things for you that you've never thought about before, or you are sort of best before in your own life. So yeah, just meeting, meeting a lot of different people in the city. Uh, and it was kind of therapeutic for me as well, because like I mentioned, I, I was still going through this self-discovery process and it was therapeutic for me to, sort of vulnerably share what I was going through on the podcast and be able to um, have, you know, a deeper conversation with someone else on the podcast about it. And just knowing that whoever's listening on the other side is probably getting some benefit from that. Um, So yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. And how long have you been doing the podcast for? Uh, Since September 2019 was the first release. Oh, geez, that's quite a while. And with that then, how did you evolve the podcast? I know now sometimes you have co-hosts, right? Um, Yes. And you've got, you know, some good equipment and a studio. How did you evolve it then, say, from starting out to where you are now? What have been the the main things you've changed and the main challenges throughout your journey? Because it's coming up to two years nearly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, in the beginning, I, <laughs> it was so hard to get over my own ego and get over like perfectionism and feeling like, oh, this has to be perfect before I put it out there. I don't want to have any criticism. I was so scared of, you know, putting myself out there and being criticized. And I think that was the biggest point of growth for me in the whole process but at the beginning the audio was pretty terrible I was I was doing it by myself I was I was the host um interviewing just one other person and I started to feel like I think this would be more fun if I had a co-host and it was more of a three-way conversation rather than like a back and forth question answer question answer Um, And that's when I brought on one of my close friends, uh, Quinn, who's also Vietnamese. So I thought that would also be, that would bring another interesting flavor to it to have a Vietnamese, like local Vietnamese perspective on things. And also just to appeal to a wider audience of even, like I really wanted local Vietnamese who could obviously speak English listening to the show as well. Um, because a lot of like the things that we talk about, we were talking about mental health and spirituality and relationships and personal development, a lot of things that from what, from what I've heard and what I can tell local Vietnamese don't really talk about as much necessarily. So we wanted to kind of create that safe space to start talking about that stuff. Mm. And and then, yeah, and then um, eventually, so then COVID, you know, started happening early 2020 and Quinn also wanted to kind of go off and start her own thing. She wanted to start a YouTube channel. So at that point, I sort of just lost motivation and I actually stopped producing for about six months. And, but the whole time I felt like a huge hole in my heart. I'm like, oh, I... I really want to do it, but I don't want to do it by myself, but I don't know anyone else to do it with me. And then luckily I ended up meeting my two co-hosts now. And so now we've been doing it together since I think September, 2020. Yeah. Okay. And how do you source your guests? Is it through word of mouth? Is it through connections you already had? Do you go on social media? What's the criteria to appear on your show? A bit of all of it. Um, It's been people that I've met personally myself by going to different kinds of events in the city, meetups. Uh, It's been certain people recommending other people to us or sometimes people 
self-nominate, you know, they, they message us saying, Hey, I'd, I'd love to be on the show. I think I have a story to share. And we do have a guest interest form because we were finding that oftentimes people who were reaching out to us saying like, I want to be on the show. They had some kind of product that they wanted to sell. And it was seemed (laughs) like it would be more, seemed like it would be more of like a marketing, you know, public relations stunt for them than, (laughs) you know, like a genuine interest in discussing these deep, vulnerable, personal topics. So we ended up creating this guest interest form that, you know, asks them, what's your intention? Like, why do you want to be on this show? What, what part of your story do you think would resonate with our audience? Um, Asking them things like, tell us a story of a time where you've stepped outside of your comfort zone and what did you learn from that experience? Um, so it's it's almost kind of an application <laughs> to be yeah, on the show. We're we're very hard. yeah we're we're very picky um, because we really have these strong values of and like a strong mission of what we're trying to accomplish on the show. Okay, I see. And with the the entire evolution, this question might be slightly tricky. What have you learned about yourself mm-hmm. since starting this podcast and since you've been going and exploring this journey? Mm. Wow. I feel like I, I learned something new with every episode, but I think the times where there's been the most growth is when I'm faced with a bit of criticism Again, because that was like my biggest fear from the very beginning of, oh, this isn't perfect, or oh, I I said something stupid, or I said something the wrong way, or you know, I didn't mean to say that, or what what do people think of the guests that I had on? And at the beginning, when I would get criticism. And it was never even anything that bad, but I just took it like so bad and it would just destroy me like for a whole day or a whole week, I would be like depressed over it. And I guess I've just grown a thicker skin over time that now hearing those things, I guess, because we are so confident in the guests that we have and we have such a strong like process um and just I guess cultivating more self-love for myself and just being like hey like everyone makes mistakes you're only human and this has no impact on your worth or value as a person um you still have a strong support system people have your back I think definitely having co-hosts really helped that um having people to share in the experience with me so now it's just not me alone freaking out but Mm -hmm. if there's like some kind of problem I can just turn to my team and be like oh my god I'm freaking out and they're like it's fine we've got you um which is really nice but yeah but I guess I guess I've just grown a thicker skin and I I think also ta- the more and more people I talk to the more I'm opened up to different perspectives on things which I think is what allows me to very easily adapt to new information so what I mean is like Back in the day, if you would have told me like, oh, stop eating meat, it's bad for you, it's bad for the environment, or even talking about like all this birth control stuff, I feel like for people who maybe they haven't left their hometown and they're just still surrounded by the same people that they've always known, Mm. you're always going to be surrounded by the same ideas and opinions and perspectives, and you're never going to be challenged. Like what, if we've been grown, if we grew up all our lives in a society that eats meat all the time and it's normal and it's legal and 
it tastes good and it's part of our culture, part of our traditions. Why would you ever question it? But now when I'm taken out of my, my normal um, environment and culture and I'm like talking to people with different perspectives, I feel like it just works that muscle of being more open-minded to new information and being like, huh, yeah, maybe what I have been brought up to believe all this time is actually wrong and, and that's okay. Like I can, um, I can accept new information and take that in and process it and, and act on it. Um, so I think that's been really crucial for me too. I think one of the trickiest aspects about moving abroad is that, yeah, you are going to be exposed to new communities, new environments and new ideas, which weren't necessarily placed upon you back at home. So the question I'm leaning towards is if there was somebody thinking of moving abroad, but is slightly nervous or apprehensive because of those reasons or any other reasons, what advice would you give them in, you know, taking the leap and making that move abroad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what helped me in that time was just knowing that the worst that could happen is I just go back home. Like you take the leap, you get there, you realize, oh, this isn't for me. I don't like it. Okay. Turn around and get on a plane and go back home. I think, um, And obviously that might be easier said than done for a lot of people. Maybe you've, maybe you don't have a good relationship with your parents and you can't just like move back into their house, or maybe you spent, spent all your money to move abroad. Um, But I think in most cases you, you can just go back to the life that you had before. But I also think in most cases, you're not going to want to, (laughs) you're going to get abroad and trust me, you're going to meet new people, you're going to have new experiences and your mind is just going to be expanded and it's, you're not even going to be able to imagine like going back home to the, to the same old way that things were. Have you been back to the States since you came to Saigon? I have. Yes. I went home October, 2019, October to November. So for two months, and yeah, it was weird, man. Like <laughs> I was going to say, I, I yeah, like I, I mean, people from university who I thought would be my best friends for life, I just did not connect with anymore. They hadn't, they hadn't really changed. They were just still doing like the same things that they were doing when I left them. And they were sort of just moving along the the typical process of like moving up in your job, getting promotion, getting married, having babies. Um, And I was just on such a different path that there was, it's like not even anything for us to talk about anymore. It was like awkward. Um, (laughs) And, (laughs) and with family, it's, it's hard. Like they, they can't possibly understand, um, your life here and what things you've seen, what conversations you've had to make you think the way that you're thinking now. So it's really uncomfortable uh, for me to go back home. And definitely there's a lot of fears coming up, you know, with this whole situation in Vietnam and probably having to go back in October uh, really freaks me out. Okay. I see. And Well, I suppose, Dana, that comes to the final question. The question I always end with is what are the Mm -hmm. aims for the future? We've obviously touched upon the fact that you may be going back in October. What is the future then, A, for you and B, for the podcast? Because it's creators in Saigon. Will you still be continuing Mm -hmm. in in the States? How is that going to work, both for the podcast and then you personally? What's next? Yeah, it's, it's still something that I don't know, like I'm, I'm still not even 100% sure that I'm leaving. It's like, very likely, but I I feel like I'm still holding on hope. Um, I haven't yet 
like my my co-hosts are aware of all of this going on, but we haven't yet, you know, sat down as a team to think about what's going to happen. It, it would be my hope that they would continue the podcast. Um, I wouldn't be a part of it because I don't think it would make, make sense for me to, you know, be in the U.S. or be in Mexico or wherever I am and still doing Creators in Saigon podcast. So I think in the event that I would leave, hopefully they would continue it or maybe they maybe they want to like start their own thing or do their own thing. Um, and for me, yeah, again, I don't know. I think uh, my very, very rough idea of a plan would be to go back to the States and maybe I would do some kind of cross country road trip, just like rent a van and drive all around the States and just like see all the people that I haven't seen for a long time. And um, after that, maybe go to Mexico. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all very, very unclear at this point. Okay, I see. Well, I suppose, Dana, that's the conversation wrapped up. I want to say huge thanks to you, A, for coming on the show today, and B, for the work that you've been doing with Creators in Saigon and beyond. Uh, I've been following it say for the last few months and it's been one of the one of the shows that keeps me trying to evolve it's great to see a fellow podcaster in the city I wasn't aware when I was beginning the journey that there actually was one and I do remember mm. I believe it was around December when I was thinking of starting it but you know when you know when you get an idea and you tiptoe towards it rather than go full in because you're a bit nervous yes I was in mm-hmm. that. I was in that process where I was thinking, "Oh, but can I? Can I?" And I messaged some people who were doing podcasts in Vietnam, and a couple of the replies mm-hmm. were, were very sort of dismissive. Um, say they were from say mm. other areas, like, "Oh yeah, too busy," or "Do this." I was like, "Okay, no worries." But then I messaged Creators in Saigon, and you know, straight away it was, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'll help you with this," and you gave me a few tips, and I thought, "Okay, this person's great. I'm going to continue to check out their show." So mm. thank you for doing that, and thank you for doing all that you've done so far it's a shame if you leave in October but you know chap uh move on to pastures new new chapters and I wish you all the very best and maybe we can do this again sometime who knows yeah thank you so much Connor and totally likewise I love what you're doing with the show and I again totally admire like how many like the volume of (laughs) episodes you've been able to do and you're just highlighting so many so many amazing people i'm i'm always so shocked to it's like endless how many interesting people there are here that you can talk to and i i just you know look through your show and i'm like oh my gosh where did he even find these amazing people um so yeah it's awesome i'm I'm glad there are you know so many people in saigon doing these creative things yeah absolutely i mean this is that's the good thing where in the future now i can Hopefully, when these restrictions end, I can do in-person podcasts and I can meet all these amazing creatives again and we can get something going. But yeah, Yeah. once again, thanks so much, Mm -hmm. Dana. Yeah, thank you.